0: You're listening to audio from The House, located in Kelowna, B.C. If you'd like to check out more resources, please visit us at thehouseonline.ca. Good morning. morning. It's good to be with you this morning. I want to, uh, we're going to shift gears a little bit, I want to talk about stories and the power of stories. Uh, Love a good story. We know Ed loves to inspire us with stories, and uh, this This past week, my wife, Carissa, has been watching Hallmark Christmas movies. It wasn't a joke. Send help. Uh, I have heard some of the most uninspiring, predictable, under-budget stories (laughs) that television can produce this past week. So I thought we needed to redeem this power of story this morning, because a good story will kind of suck you in, won't it? It kind of brings you into the story. It's like opening a good book, a good novel. You, you become part of the story. You get emotionally attached to the characters. One of my uh, very first messages I preached was on this topic of story, and, and the idea, the theme, has never really left my heart, my thinking, my reading, and I think what has happened is I discovered the story of Scripture. I discovered the story of Scripture, and we think of, this book is so many things, don't we? Like, people will say it's God's love letter to humanity, or it's God's compass or rule book or whatever. We have all these catchy things. But I discovered the story of Scripture, that God is, is, has this big overarching narrative of what he's doing in the world. And uh, as I dove into it, I began to see myself as part of it. And I hope you will see yourself as part of it this morning, because I grew up you know, reading it, memorizing it at times, going to Christian school and knowing a lot of the individual stories, but never really feeling like this was my story. It always felt like something out there, something distant that I kind of, you know, studied from afar, learned, memorized, remembered. But if we understand the story of scripture, we kind of get sucked into the narrative. We, we become part of it. We become, become participants of it. And, and it shifted for me in, in my first year of Bible college I got sucked into the story, and I realized that God is using ordinary things, ordinary people, to accomplish his purpose in the world. God is using ordinary things and ordinary people to accomplish his purpose in the world. And so we, with our ordinary things and our ordinary lives, we get kind of brought into the story. So I want to invite you into that this morning. We're going to start in Genesis uh, start at the beginning, Genesis 1. You probably know this story. It's God created the heavens and the earth, and he creates and he forms and he fills, and each day he's, he's creating something new, and um, the climax of this story is day six, where God does something incredible. It says this in Genesis 1. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky Over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God does something so interesting. He creates us in his image. You've probably heard that before. We're made in God's image. But I wonder if we get the gravity of what that means to be made in God's image, to bear his image. Uh, author, scholar David Kleins, he wrote an entire book on what it means to be made in God's image. And he suggests there was three common things that people in, in the ancient Near East and that culture would have associated with this term, to be made in the image of God. There was kind of three common things in literature and, and in the thinking of that day. First was that a deity would impute a substance to an earthly king enabling him to represent the divine. Something would be given from a deity to a king, and now they would kind of represent the deity. The second, the the empowered king would embody the deity by ruling. He would rule kind of in his stead. And third, it was only the king who was ever given this privilege. Three things that this term commonly would have associated, been associated with this term, image of God. And in Genesis, the story in Genesis, it's actually quite similar God forms man out of the dust, but then he breathes into him. Genesis 2 says, the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. It's like God imparts something to us. He gives us his breath, his life. So first he does that. Then second, God entrusts us to rule on behalf of him. Says this, let us make mankind in our image that they may rule over the fish in the sea, over the birds, the livestock, over all the creatures. So he entrusts, us, he, he entrusts us to rule in his stead, to embody him. But for the third point, it's different. Something's different. It's not just the king who gets to be made in the image of God. It's not the king who is entrusted to rule. It's actually all of us, male and female, all of mankind are entrusted to represent and rule on behalf of God in the world. Each one of us. So from the very beginning, God has been taking ordinary people and entrusting them to be his image bearers, to bear his image, to embody him to the world. He takes ordinary people. And I love this story because it reveals something important about his image. And I love that picture. It's kind of like the sacred and the ordinary come together. God creates us in his image. We have so much potential to create and to Work and to make things and to embody God to bear His image in the world. Some of you, I know, you do this in your work and your actions and your talking and your speaking and you're amazingly gifted in so many areas. And yet, on the other hand, we're dust. It's like we're fragile, we're small, we're ordinary. It's like the sacred and the ordinary come together. And We know what happens in the story next. We, we fail to embody God, we sin. And sin enters the world and and the image of God within us is sort of distorted. It's broken, it's marred, it's fractured. We fail to represent God like he entrusted us to do. And yet so many people, when I talk to them, they start here. They start in chapter 3, that we're broken people. We are such ordinary, inadequate, unqualified, broken people. Or we start in Romans three, right? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's like we know that verse off by heart for some reason. Yet that is not where this story starts. The story of scripture does not start or end with your brokenness. Your sin does not disqualify you from participating in this story, it doesn't. We get stuck there in this brokenness. I'm a sinner, I'm broken, I'm inadequate, I fall short. This story is the story of God taking the most ordinary, broken, messed up people and using them to accomplish his purpose in the world. That's it. That is what this story is about. That is what the gospel is about. God taking ordinary people like you and I and he uses us to accomplish his purpose in the world. Of course, we are broken. I don't need to remind you of this. You know this, right? I don't need to convince you that you're not perfect. I'm I'm reminded every time I drive. Every time I get in my car, I get angry because I'm the only good driver in Kelowna. It's incredible. It's amazing. Does anyone else relate? Okay, Justin at the back. We can drive together, me and you, buddy. I'm reminded of my brokenness all the time. I don't need to remind you. And yet the story of the gospel is Jesus bringing broken people in and using them to accomplish his purpose ordinary people God creates us in his image he gives us authority to rule on behalf of him we fail to do this but if you flip through these pages you find is that the spiritual elitist the the spiritual heroes the heroes of our faith are such ordinary people like Abraham is a 75 year old farmer when God calls him and says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. You're going to be a blessing. You're going to be a great nation. He gives us the promise of land and blessing. He's, he's not a young, hip, ripped jeans, megachurch pastor. He's, he's an ordinary 75-year-old farmer. He's not too old, by the way, to be a part of what God is doing. Moses, less than ordinary, I would say. He's, he's a murderer when God calls him. He has killed someone, okay? Okay. And God calls him, and, and, and I love the dialogue between God and Moses at the burning bush, because God shows up and he's like, Moses, I've heard the cries of my people, and I'm coming down to rescue you. And he's like, amen, come on. And then God's like, okay, now you go to Pharaoh. And he's like, wait, what? Hold up, I can't speak, I, I stutter. And God's like, you're going, and you're gonna represent me, you're gonna embody me to Pharaoh. Ordinary people, we could talk about David, a lying, murderous, adulterous king, a man after God's own heart. We could talk about Esther or Ruth, these people who have ordinary stories, men and women who participate in what God is doing. But for me, what did it was when I studied the Gospel of Mark specifically, because I I began to see these disciples, these people that we look up to, these people who, who Jesus invites to follow him just like he invites us to follow him, These disciples who spread the gospel, who did miracles, who who did amazing things. I began to see them as very ordinary people because that's kind of what they are. Ordinary people made in the image of God. Fishermen, tax collectors, doubters, made in the image of God, entrusted to embody Jesus to the world. Then if you read Mark's gospel, what you find is that Mark does not present them like we present ourselves on Instagram. He, he doesn't present all the amazing, epic things that they do, right? He presents the times when they've failed, and they miss it, and they do time and time again. It's like big, burly Peter, fisherman Peter, right? Like, on this rock, I'm going to build my church, Peter. Gets out of the boat. He's standing on the, he's walking on water. You're like, yes! Then he starts to doubt. He starts to sink. Peter. Who, who Jesus comes to him he says, I'm gonna get killed, I'm gonna be killed and crucified. And Peter starts rebuking him. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. It's like, what? Or the disciples who, who go and they rebuke the woman who pours perfume on Jesus. Or, or the disciples who go and rebuke the children who come to Jesus. Or the disciples who rebuke the blind man who cries out for Jesus. It's like, they're rebuking everyone. They're just like rebuking machines. And yet Jesus is correcting them, he's saying, you're missing it, you're missing it. Yet these are the people Jesus surrounds himself with. And he invites them, he calls them, and he sends them out to embody himself to the world, to embody God, the presence of God to the world. These people, ordinary people, broken people, made in his image, sent out. See, the gospel is not just about our standing with God, like, we were in the wrong, now Jesus makes us in the right, so now God tolerates us. Gospel is about Jesus, the true image of God, coming to embody our brokenness, so that we might embody him, his righteousness to the world. There's kind of an exchange that happens. Listen now to, to be sin for, in 2 Corinthians, he says, God made him, that's Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We become the righteousness of God. Just as Jesus embodies our sin on the cross, we now get to embody his righteousness to the world. I like how Paul says it later, or before in 2 Corinthians, he says, we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the spirit. See, God is doing what God has always done taking ordinary broken people, and by his grace, he redeems, he restores, he mends, he puts us back together. Paul says we're a new creation. It's like we get a second chance to embody him, to represent him to the world, that we might be his people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation who look like Jesus, who act like Jesus. A story begins to come alive for us as we see ourselves within it. And Paul says, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Jars of clay with treasure inside. Does that sound familiar? It sounds to me a little bit like humans formed out of the dust but breathed into with God's own life to embody him to the world. There's a brilliant Japanese artist who was a potter Potters would come from all over the world to study under this, this artist. And one day he gave his students this special clay and he invited them to put all of their talent and creativity into it, making a bowl with this clay. So at the end of the day, he instructed each student to go and, and fire their bowl in the kiln and bring back what they pulled, no matter what shape it took, no matter what form it took. And so one of his prized students went, and he fired his bowl up, and he went, and he took it out, and he could not believe his eyes. It had fragmented into a dozen pieces. It had shattered. He couldn't figure out what he did wrong. So he carefully put the pieces in a bag, and he went to class the next morning with his head down. It wasn't long before he noticed the other students had also failed. The teacher waited and waited until one of the students stood up and finally admitted his failure. And the master smiled and said, the bag of brokenness you're carrying is not plan B. That is plan A. I knew that was going to happen. What I gave you couldn't handle the fire. It had to break. But the beauty we're going to create today far surpasses the beauty you envisioned yesterday. And so he brought the first broken bowl to his table. And, and there he had a container of molten gold, liquid gold, and he took each piece and he began to stick them together with the gold, literally glued the bowl back together with this gold. And, and the brokenness was integral to the beauty and, and these bowls are, are incredibly valuable, much more valuable than they originally were. I think many of us see ourselves a little bit like broken pieces, like inadequate, unqualified. I don't have a degree. I don't have a, a you know, master's degree in theology, and I don't know enough, and I'm not qualified. And yet God qualifies us. He takes our broken pieces. He puts them back together. You see the story God is writing. He says, you're a new creation in Christ, you're beginning to see how your very ordinary life becomes part of an extraordinary story that in Jesus, God is putting those pieces back together. He's making us whole that we might reflect and embody Him to the world. We become something so much more than ordinary, it becomes something sacred. I love this quote from Glenn Packham. He says, God works with the unspectacular and common, the imperfect and inadequate. That is His specialty. If God were to take the seemingly ordinary stuff of your life and fill it with his glory, he would not be working against the order of the world. He would be making your life what it was designed to be, a carrier of his glory. And I think it's a little bit like bread. Our life is a little bit like bread. In in the first century, bread was a staple. It was the most common food. It's still common. There's nothing spectacular about bread, right? None of you are like, Dang, that's some good bread. I got to get some bread after lunch. No, it's just bread. But it's a little bit like our lives. Because if we're honest, we do a lot of ordinary things. right? We have our moments, of course, amazing. But we spend a lot of time doing dishes, cleaning the house, driving, sleeping, right? making kids lunches, cleaning diapers. Ordinary things. And yet Jesus does something with the bread. And we're going to celebrate communion this morning, but Jesus does something with the bread. As he sits around a table with his disciples, he takes this ordinary loaf of bread and he does something. He grabs it and he does three things. First, he blesses it. And then he breaks it. And then he gives it to his disciples. And he says, take it. This is my body. You see what's happening? In the hands of Jesus this bread becomes something more than just ordinary bread. It turns into sacred bread. It turns into his body. He says, take it, this is for you. And in the same way, your story, your ordinary story becomes something more than ordinary in the hands of Jesus. As so we give Jesus our life. He takes our ordinary story and he makes it into something spectacular where you actually begin to embody him. And you're blessed and you're broken just like that bread, but you're put back together and you're given to the world to embody him. And so when you go into grocery stores and when you go into your space of work and when you have your business meetings, you actually represent Jesus. You're gonna be the presence of God to those people. There's a quote. Of all the things he could have chosen to be done in remembrance of him, Jesus chose a meal. He could have asked his followers to do something impressive or mystical, climb a mountain, or fast for 40 days, but instead he picks the most ordinary of acts, eating, through which to be present to his people. He says that his bread is, the bread is his body and the wine is his blood. He chooses the unremarkable and plain, the average and abundant bread and wine. And so this morning we're going to celebrate this together as the team comes, as the, the band comes this morning. We're going to take the bread and the cup as a way of celebrating uh, the sacrifice of Jesus, of course, that's what it's about. The true image of God who is broken and poured out for us that we might be restored and made whole. But we also take the bread and the cup this morning in a different way. As a way of, as a way of participating in this story that God is doing something in our world and he's inviting us into it. So we take the bread and the cup as a way of participating in that because I love, Jesus doesn't take the bread and and bless it and break it and say, this is my body and put it on the table for people to see as kind of a symbol. Nor does he take the cup and, and pour it out on the ground and say, this is my blood that was poured out for you. He takes the bread, he breaks it, he says, this is my body and then the disciples eat it. And then he says, this is my blood poured out for you. And then the disciples drink the cup. It's like they actually participate in his life, in the life and the ministry of Jesus. They take the bread as a way of symbolizing taking on the the life of Jesus. They take the blood, they drink it, become part of the story. And I think one of the most scandalous things about this meal that Jesus shares with his disciples right before he's killed is who is next to him. He's got his disciples with him. But at the table is Judas. And Judas has murder in his heart. And Jesus knows this. He says, one of you is gonna betray me. And Judas is there, and yet Jesus takes the bread. He blesses it and he breaks it. He gives it to Judas. He says, take it, this is my body broken for you, Judas. This is my blood poured out for you, Judas. He's not excluded from participating in what God is doing. And you're not excluded this morning to participate in what God is doing. We come to the table this morning to meet with Jesus and to participate in his story. It's the most compelling invitation ever offered. You are invited with your questions and your doubt, with your hang-ups and your screw-ups, with your addictions and your brokenness. You're invited this morning. This table is for you. The bread and the cup, they are for you. In our case, it's gluten-free cheesy crackers and Welch's grape juice. They're for you because at this table, we are all equals. Rich, poor, young, old, women, men, saints, sinner, we come and we receive the life of Jesus. And in I don't know, 10 or 15 minutes, you're gonna get sent out. You're gonna embody him to the world. You're gonna be given to the world. And so if that's where you're at, you say yes to Jesus, you identify with him, you confess faith in him. We wanna celebrate in this together. And so the servers are gonna hand out the bread and, and the cup and we're gonna ask that you just wait until everyone's been served. Uh, the team is gonna lead us and we're gonna to partake together in just a minute. Can't control your tomorrow. I think sometimes communion is a time of, of reflection and it can be a bit somber as we reflect on the, the sacrifice of Jesus for us, who is broken, poured out for us. I just felt this morning like, uh, we can celebrate this morning. You know, the, in, in the New Testament, they would have feasts to celebrate this meal together as a way of, of participating in what God is doing. And maybe someone here this morning just needs to be reminded that your brokenness does not disqualify you from participating in the story of God. Your brokenness, your sin does not disqualify you. And so on the night when Jesus was betrayed by Judas, he took the bread. When he had given thanks, when he had blessed it, he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake together. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, do this in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's partake together. Would you stand with us? We're going to pray and, and, and worship in response this morning. And so Jesus, we just come before you this morning, God, we bring our brokenness, we bring our our, our very acutely aware of our fragility, our our sense of humanness, that we are made from the dust, that we have failed to embody you, and yet God, you have invited us in this morning to participate in what you're doing to actually be Jesus to the world. And so God, we, we celebrate that, we receive it. As a community, we receive it this morning that you have invited us in. And so, God, I pray that you would tell each person here who feels a little bit underqualified to do that, that you have qualified them in Jesus, that in Jesus you are putting those pieces back together, making something marvelous and beautiful. And so, God, we praise you for that. We praise you for what you've done for us. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, the team is going to lead us, and we're going to close just in a second. Thanks for listening to audio from the house. For more information or resources, visit us at thehouseonline.ca.